North Rock Podcast. Hey, everyone. Good morning. So we are uh, in our third week in our Heart for the House campaign that uh, Melissa just referenced. And um, every year we try to do this. We try to uh, spend about a month or so in the fall where we camp out on a vision that we feel like God has given us as a leadership team about who North Rock is and where we're going. And we try, and then we articulate this vision and invite the community to participate in it. And this year, uh, it came strongly through that Isaiah 58 was a passage in the in in the story of Israel that not only we could resonate with as a group of people, but we feel like it kind of gave us a roadmap for a way forward. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've begun to unpack what that vision looks like as we uh, are inviting. Our, our community to join together as a church in that, in that project, um, what it means to have a heart for the house. So I'm going to continue that theme as we explore a variety of images, images like wilderness, exile, um, images of new kinds of leadership, and the rebuilding of walls. But before we do that, let me pray for us, okay? God, thank you <clears throat> that you always speak. We pray that you would speak now, that you're and your, that your speech would be a word to us, and that word would reveal your very character, who you are. Help us to not just talk about you, God, but may you be revealed to us as we preach this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about the repair of broken walls, okay? And uh, our opening passage comes, like I said, from Isaiah 58. And while we've been kind of sitting with that whole chapter, uh, I'm going to camp out this morning on verses 11 and 12. So let me share this with you, and then I'll begin to unpack what uh, I think uh, God has to say for us this morning. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Now, what's going on here? It begins by saying the Lord will guide you always. And I think that that's not just a random kind of encouragement or promise. It was actually really specific to the context of the times and what God was doing with Israel. Let's take a wide-angled view and look at how, at this time, when this word was uh, preached over the community, they found themselves to be strangers in strange land. So as as a part of Israel's history, they they were in the period of the Babylonian exile. What do I mean by this? Uh, at, at some point in the 6th century before Jesus, so some uh, 530 years before Jesus, the empire of Babylon had come and overrun Jerusalem and Judea and had taken up all, had overrun the city and the land and had taken up all the people, including the best and the brightest, the aristocracy, the educated, the priestly order, and he up and moved them and brought them into the east, into exile, to the city of Babylon. And for 70-some years, Israel, the Jews, were living in exile there. 
They were strangers in a strange land. They, were an ocup- they weren't just an occupied people. They were a removed people who had been taken away from their home and uh, were living in captivity, basically. Everyone with me so far? Okay. Now, here's what's really interesting about this. While in exile, then, they have to begin, this is a deeply disturbing slash destabilizing event. Up until this point, after Israel had kind of uh, taken the promised land and and camped in the promised land, even though there had been a number of disturbances and, and struggles in doing that, they had a theology that said, because God is with us, because we have Zion, because we have Jerusalem, then we are God's people and that we are in a good place in the land. So what happens when you've built a worldview that says you're good as long as you have all these things, and then it gets taken away? Now you have to begin to reimagine or rethink about who you are, what your identity is, and what it even means to be God's people. This was a deeply destabilizing event, this exile. And so they now find themselves as strangers in a strange land and trying to make sense of who are we if we don't have what we leaned on before to define us, who are we going into the future? Part of a vision for what it means to reimagine yourself, you have to have a vision for where you're going, where your future is. And as a result of their exile into uh, the East, they were asking big questions. It's in this context that you hear this word that comes to them that says, the Lord will guide you always. Can you imagine how they began, had begun to question, where's God in all of this? What is God up to in the midst of all this? And in that moment, they're also hearing a word that says, the Lord will guide you always. Not only that, but it also says, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched earth, in a sun-scorched land. I want to talk to you about the idea of the wilderness as a place where gifts are revealed. The wilderness as a place where gifts are revealed. So, when we talk about the wilderness, what comes to mind? The, probably the most pronounced story of the wilderness, uh, not just exile, but wilderness experience, was when Israel was called out of Egypt, remember? And they were delivered from their captivity in Egypt, another context where they had been in exile. And they were taken into the wilderness. Peter Block... Uh, in a book called Another Kingdom, puts it like this. The Exodus narratives tells the story of Israel's leaving Pharaoh's Egypt. The Israelites went into the wilderness, a place where there were no viable life support systems. What they discovered, according to the narrative, is that when they went into this desolate place, it turned out to have life supports of bread as manna. Water from rock and meat from quail. It turned out that the wilderness was presided over by the gift and life-giving God. Can you say amen to that this morning? Do you hear what's, what I mean when I say the wilderness as the place that gifts are revealed? See, when we are living fat in the land, happy, we oftentimes don't lean into a a desire to know what God you would have of us and what you would do of us. Sometimes God has to get us moving and move us east 
into the wilderness so that he can speak to us and that he can show up in a way where we move from a place of trusting our environment to trusting him. See, we usually think of the wilderness as a dangerous place, a place that you don't want to be because there's not enough resources in the wilderness, right? Who wants to live in the wilderness? But it's precisely in the wilderness that gifts are revealed. Manna from heaven, water from rock, quail, meat. And what you begin to realize when you are taken into the wilderness is that there's more than enough. And that there are gifts all around. I remember when Robin and I first moved um, from New Jersey out to Colorado. We came out here with no real prospects. We didn't have any jobs lined up or anything. We had to just trust, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. You said We always talk about trusting God, but when you step out and actually put yourself in a situation where you're forced to, that's the game changer. I could preach a million sermons on trust. It wasn't until we got moving and we had to walk into the wilderness that then we were pushed to trust. And you know what happened? He started showing up again and again and again. And he began to remind us, hey, remember how you were feeling at that moment? And what did I do for you? Hey, remember what um, you, were question, you were questioning this at the moment? And then who showed up? And who came along? And how were you provided? And what we found as we kind of lived into that season, and it, was a, it wasn't an easy season at all, but what we found was we, we grew more spiritually sensitive. We were more sensitive to God's promptings. We could see all the ways that not only he was moving and working in our lives, but also we started seeing all the ways he was moving and working in other people's lives. And we began to call out those things that we saw. And what you saw was the gifts started to emerge and get revealed. Sometimes the reason why God says remember is because we forget right? And so you'll find when you read through the Old Testament, God's always saying, hey, remember how I called you out of Egypt? Remember how I brought you into the promised land? Remember how I redeemed you as a people while you were in exile in Babylon? Remember how I established you once again? Remember? Don't forget the story. So the wilderness is the place in which gifts are revealed. And not just that, it's in exile that you begin to experience transformation. Like I mentioned before, when the Jews were taken into exile, they had to rethink everything that they had known. The whole theology of what they understood God to be and who they were in his eyes, they had, it was completely destabilized. They had to rethink it all. And it, it turns out that that period of time while they were in exile was a, the most fertile time in which their theology w- uh, d- uh, emerged. In fact, I would say to you, suggest to you, it was prob- one of the most significant times in the history of their people. The Bible that we have today, the one that you hold in your hands, the one that you call the Old Testament, that came into being during that time. It was in that time when they were asking, who are we and how do we relate to God, that they began to draw together all the stories that had been passed down, their inheritance as a people, not just their histories, but their creation narratives, all the things that they had uh, told each other before and on, and they, they began to put it together as they were looking around at their neighbors. Who are we in the midst of the, as strangers in this strange land? And how are we to understand who God is? 
that's the beautiful thing about being in exile. Is you, begin, you don't ever rethink things when everything's going good. But when you need to get to a new place, sometimes it's, it, it helps to be in the wilderness. You will be like a, you will, um, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Gifts will be provided for you, he says. Not just that, but you will be like a well-watered garden. Allow me to reflect with you a little bit about uh, this idea of what it means to live into a new kind of leadership. So, we've been talking about what, we, what uh, the journey that North Rock's been on these last four years since Chad and the, uh, came and began to establish this leadership team. And, and certainly the challenges that we have been facing as we've engaged that conversation. And one of the things that we've embraced, or one of the things that we've looked at and, and saw this might be a way forward, is we, want, we wanted to rethink how we've talked about or understood leadership in the, in the church. And this is not just a conversation that North Rock's having. In fact, it's a conversation the church all over is having. Because right now, you could argue that the church in North America is, moving, it's, is being moved into a wilderness season where it's being asked to rethink everything. The old ways just aren't working anymore. It used to be that everyone would just, you, open, you have your worship service on the weekends, and everyone would come, and you did church that way, right? And you had a pastor who looked after that community and, and cared for that community and spoke to that community, and that's how we understood church to be. But what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that's no longer how the church will look in the future. Things are changing. And in order to, uh, to kind of envision what it will look like, one of the things we've got a conviction about is rethinking how it is or what it looks like to do church together. And so one of the things we look at uh, uh, and take our cues from here at North Rock is this idea of of Ephesians 4, the APEST model that we read in Ephesians 4. You'll, you'll hear it as APEST. Sometimes you'll hear it as a five-fold ministry. But let me unpack this for you real quick. So look at what it says in Ephesians 4, chapter, verse 11 through um, 13. It says, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Let me point out something that, um, that I see here. Remember I said, if, you have, if you're going to go somewhere, you have to have a vision for what, where, where, where you're going, what it looks like. And here we see a bit of a vision for what it looks like. The vision here for the church is that there would be a unity of faith, there would be a full knowledge of God, there would be maturity uh, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, but in particular, that the saints would be doing the work of ministry for the building of the body. So when we say the saints, what do we mean? Are we talking about Mother Teresa? (laughs) Is that who we're thinking of? No, I mean, that's a weird word, right? It feels old. old. When we talk about the saints, who are we? We usually think of like 
someone like Mother Teresa. And I don't know about you, but like I usually then automatically disqualify myself. If you define it at the saints as Mother Teresa or other major figures in church history, then immediately you go, oh, not me, right? But that's not actually what the word means. Did you know this? So the word for saint basically means the, the holy ones or God's people. It was a, a moniker that Paul would use to describe everybody, the church, all of us. And that the church, were, the, the God's people were holy not because of anything that they had done, not any good behavior on their part, but because God had made them holy in Jesus. That he had redeemed the people and that he had established them to be representatives of him in the world. This is what it means to be the saints. So when it says the saints, it means everybody. Everyone's included. And so when we're talking about the saints being the ones uh, to be, who are going to be equipped to do the work of ministry or the service of ministry, what it's basically saying is the church is called to do the work of the church. But this doesn't just happen. That God has set in motion a process by which the church is equipped to do that work that it's been called to do, that we've been called to do. And it tells us in this passage that God gives us different gifts Gifts in the wilderness, leadership, who will provide for the equipping, for the enabling, for the setting up for success of the church to be the church. Not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the church so that it might do the work of ministry. And if you look, you'll see that there are essentially five offices, you could use that phrase, or five aspects of leadership Prophets, evangelists, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This is why some call this an APEST model. You get the APEST from uh, A-P-E-S-T. Other circles might call this the fivefold ministries. Now, why do I highlight this? Well, for much of the last century and a half, two, 200 years, the church in, the North, in North America hasn't really lived into this calling. Of its leadership. It has tended to privilege two of these aspects the, the shepherds and the teachers over everyone else. When we think of about a pastor, usually we have in our head the idea that the pastor is a shepherd and a teacher, that their main job is to care for the flock and to preach, right? But what the problem with that is it short circuits this fivefold ministry in which everyone is engaged together in the leadership of the church. And, and therefore, because we've tended to elevate those two gifts over the other three, those other giftings that exist in the church find their way out in other environments. That's why you have the emergence in the last hundred years of what we call parachurch ministries, where uh, apostles and evangelists and others can exercise their gifts in environments that, that they weren't actually f- set free to do in the local church. So there's a kind of reclaiming of this vision of what the fivefold ministry. I want to really quickly highlight what we mean when we talk about um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And I get this from um, Alan Hirsch. And he basically says the apostle, I don't know if you can, I know it's real small. Sorry, you guys. I tried to fit too much in here. I'll read it to you. Apostles extend the gospel. Right? As the sent ones, that was, that's what a, an apostle means, is a sent one. As the sent ones 
um, they ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another and from one generation to the next. They are always thinking about the future, building bridges, uh, or bridging barriers, establishing the church in new contexts, developing leaders and networks translocally. They're the extenders of the church. Likewise, the prophets know God's will. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They insist that the community obey that, that, that God has commanded, what God has commanded. They question the status quo. How about evangelists? Evangelists recruit. They're, these infectious communicators of the gospel message recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage the wider mission, growing the church. And then you have shepherds who nurture and protect. They're caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection of the spiritual maturity of God's flock, cultivating a loving and spiritually mature network of relationships, making and developing disciples. And then finally, teachers who understand and explain. They're communicators of God's truth and wisdom, they help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will, guiding others towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful to Christ's word, and constructing a transferable doctrine. So these are the fivefold uh, gifts, or the APEST model of leadership. And what I'm try you don't have to remember every aspect of what I just described, but what you need to take away, I hope you take away, is this, that we need all these gifts in operation if we're going to be the church. We can't just have one or two of those gifts on display if we're going to fully realize the vision that God has for his church moving in to exile. In other words, what you've been seeing happen at North Rock over the last four years, have you noticed how we have different preachers every week? Why is that? Because we're living into this call. We need every voice to be heard in a variety of voices because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You can platform your best communicator every week and be less for it because you're only hearing one voice. God gives us the whole team to lead his church for the equipping of saints. It's better when we hear all these different voices, even if you, on a, uh, uh, the average person, might gravitate to one or two of those. Do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, what we're doing wasn't for, by accident. This didn't just happen to us. We're trying to creatively move into the future, recognizing that even if we are in exile right now, we're being transformed by that to rethink everything. And we need each other. We are better together. See, if the apostle focuses solely on initiating new ideas and rapid expansion, you can leave people and organizations wounded. The shepherding and teaching functions are needed to ensure people are cared for rather than simply used. Without the other types of leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists or paradoxically disengaged from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly. Evangelists can be so focused on reaching those outside the church that maturing and strengthening those inside is neglected. You hear me? Shepherds can value stability to the detriment of the mission. They may also foster an unhealthy dependence between the church and themselves. 
You need me. I'm your savior. Without the input of the other functions, teachers can fall into dogmatism or dry intellectualism. They may fail to see the personal or missional aspects of the church's ministry. We are better together. So what I'm suggesting to you is, if we find ourselves as a church in a place of wilderness or a place of exile, could it be that God's got us positioned just the right place so that gifts can be revealed and transformation can take place so that we can be his people moving into the future? He has to give us a vision. We have to have a sense of where we're going and actively pursue that and not just look to the past. And the vision he gives his people in Isaiah 58 is that they would be repairers of broken walls. Did you catch that? Let me read for you it again. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundries or foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So how, how do we do that? This is what Lori asked us last week. And she reminded us last week that it's not a, this is not a question of how, but who. Who is the repair of broken walls? I mean, clearly Israel's called to be this. But do they ever do it? See, what's interesting when we look at the whole story of Isaiah and then the later uh, exilic period and when they kind of return, that Israel does do much of what God promises they'll do, but not all of it. There's a, there's a whole bunch of promises and a vision for where they are going that they never fully realize in history. We know this now. So it begins to happen that they begin to see, hey, this is pointing to a larger vision than even we had ideas for. And it's, here's those, what's really cool. It's during this time of exile and return that they begin to talk about the Messiah, one who will come. And, and take on the cause of Israel and fulfill it. So, I want to talk to you about the Messiah then. See, here's what's interesting. In Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, it tells the story of how Jesus, when he comes into his ministry, is called by God and then experiences baptism where he identifies himself with his people. And then he's driven east, across the Jordan, into exile, into the wilderness. And there he's tempted. Do you remember that story? And he's tempted about what is the future. And the questions that are brought against him are saying, hey, do you really have a sense of where this is going? Wouldn't it be better to go back? And he rebuts that temptation with an account of what God has done and what God promises through the scriptures. And then he returns from exile, from the wilderness, back to Jerusalem. And we're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21, that he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, for the blind, 
to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, here's what's really cool. That comes from Isaiah 61, a couple chapters later from Isaiah 58, right? Three chapters, not a couple. And if you read that passage and you keep going, here's what it says. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. See, Jesus really is the repairer of broken walls. When he says, today, this is fulfilled, he's saying, I am the true Israelite. That I have come into the world to take up the cause of God's people. I've made it my own. And I will be faithful to carry it to fulfillment. All the way to the end so that God's name may be glorified and made great. If we are to have a future, it's in Christ Jesus. And we then are called to follow as he leads. Um, Worship team, you can come up. We're we're called to follow then and participate in his mission. If If you think about it, Jesus is like the true leader, right? If you look at those five ministries or offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He was the personification of all of them in, him, in himself. He was, the, he was the true sent one. He was the one who listens to the voice of God and calls us to someplace higher. He is the one who shares the good news to the people. He's the one who cares for his flock like a good shepherd. He's the one who teaches with authority. Do you see? He's the fulfillment of that. And so when we are given these gifts to lead this church together, when we do it together, we image him. And as we do that, as we listen to his voice by the Spirit, we're faithful to follow where he leads. I don't know where it all is going, you guys. None of us do. But he does. And he has given his church these gifts. Manna from heaven. Water from rock. Quail from the sky. Telling all of us there's more than enough. Trust me as I lead you. So I want to remind you, Melissa did a good job this morning of talking about our heart for the house. But I just want to like put an exclamation point on that. When we take this offering in a few weeks, it's not just about the money, you guys. It's the calling of the saints to be the church together. It's the calling of the church to hear the voice of God and to live into his mission. And as best we can tell, you guys, this, the leadership, the, this team-led uh, leader, group of leaders here at, at North Rock have said, this, we, we feel like we're on to something. This didn't just happen to us. We're out in front. We're pushing forward towards the future. Will you come and join us in it? 
And I encourage you to take that step with us, right? You could hear a million sermons, but it's living that really changes you. Can we say amen to that this morning? So let's live in it together. We're better together. Let me pray. God, thank you for the gift of your life in Jesus. We pray that we would participate in that life and that we would emerge into the community of people, the the people of faith that you've called us to be. God, show us all the ways that your gifts are being revealed to us in this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we close in response as we hear that God says, listen, behold, I am the repairer of broken walls. Chad reminded us a couple weeks ago that Christ says, I will build my church. I will. And, um, and so we trust that. We trust that, the, and, we under, and we come to know as we trust and we move into that, that the wilderness, exile, is not a place to be afraid but it's the place in which gifts are revealed and transformation happens. If you long to experience that kind of transformation the re- and the revealing of the gifts that God has in and for you, then I invite you to join in praying this prayer that we pray every week. It is that prayer of response that says, God, you are good, and we want to give all that we know of who we are into all that we know of who you are. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave three days later. I receive forgiveness for every failure and sin in my life and give to you the right to direct my life from this day forward. I dedicate myself to learning the scripture, living in fellowship with God's people, following you in water baptism. In Jesus' name I pray and trust. Amen. Hey, friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.